You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where over the next hour we'll be chatting football stories from across the Thames Valley and beyond. With me tonight is Will Taylor. I'm Ed Salton, so join us as we kick off tonight's show. This week, we talk Reading's ongoing struggles, as a 3-2 loss against Coventry leads to protests from the fans. We can meanwhile are winless in four, but remain in the hunt for promotion. And we'll also discuss the national narratives that have emerged over the last week. All that and more to come, right here on Extra Time. Yes, good evening. It's 7pm on a Wednesday night, which means we, Extra Time, are back in the studio once more to talk all things football. Remember, if you want to have your say on any of tonight's topics, you can do by tweeting us at River Radio Live. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so do feel free to get in touch. Joining me tonight, as I mentioned, is the ever-present Will Taylor, but that's not just a figure of speech because we chatted during the week and, and in the past nine months, I think you've missed only one show. Mm. which is almost <laughs> as impressive as it is tragic. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thanks, mate, and, and a lovely welcome. I suppose from a, from a journalistic perspective, I have to ask, how do you maintain such remarkable consistency? Yeah, that is, it's a great question. Um, Thanks. But it, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go and reveal my secrets, mate, because I don't, you know, you coming in all the time, that's not good for <laughs> me. You know? so I'm quite happy where I am taking the hot seat as and when I need to, mate. So, yeah, no, uh, to, be, to be fair, I, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a good laugh, this show, isn't it? So why, why would you miss it if, if you didn't have to? Well, therein lies the thing, and we ask you, dear <laughs> listeners, don't tweet in and tell us why you would miss it. That's not, a, that's not an invite. That's rhetorical. Not, that's <laughs> not a call to action to tell us why to miss the show. But great to have you on, as always. And we've got some fantastic topics to get stuck into tonight as well. And we begin, or rather kick off tonight's show, with Championship side Reading. The Royals are set to take on fellow strugglers Peterborough this evening in a relegation clash, but will go into the game without a win in their last 11 matches and having been defeated in their last eight. The latest of those losses was a 3-2 defeat at home to Coventry on Saturday, after which a group of fans invaded the pitch in protest at the club's ownership and against manager Velko Paunovic. To chat through the events, Will caught up with Abby Ticehurst from Football in Berkshire and started out by asking her about the loss. Let's go. I actually think it was quite a good game of football, if I'm honest. And... Um... Reading obviously went went one 0 up first, and yeah, it, you could really feel it in the stadium. It was a, it was a good goal as well, so um, yeah, it was decent. And then then obviously the counter happened, and that just feels like a bit of a theme with Reading. Really, is that a goal gets scored, and then we sort of sit back and let things unfold, and then inevitably the opposition scores. Um, and then it was such a frustrating error from. Um, Hoylet as well because he was having a fantastic game and he was really commanding that left wing and making a difference. Him and Renamoto were um, kind of uh, they were linking up well together. So it was really unfortunate to see him go off after that red card. It was a it was a silly challenge, I think, really. Um, and I think that made a bit of a difference, really. Um, the Yadon goal was really decent as well. I liked it as well, but obviously. 
As is the way with Reading right now, Coventry stole a final third goal and unfortunately won the game. So yeah, it's a, a running theme right now. It's a bit of a running theme, isn't it? Which which makes it such a shame when you know that there's there's so much there are good things happening, which might be contrary to popular belief to those sort of from the outside. Um, obviously, the, the the final whistle saw some sour scenes as well with, with a slight pitch invasion from the Reading fans. Does that sort of sum up, sum up where Reading are at the moment? And, and what was that exactly about, do you think? Yeah, I think it is a real reflection of how lots of fans are feeling right now. If you if you take to social media, you can just see the, the, the unrest that a lot of people are feeling. Um, I think it was mostly from the 1871 stand that people came and it was very obviously directed at the manager. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the players were, a lot of the players were inside instantly as people made, up the, on, made their way onto the pitch. Um, but they seemed to be unbothered by having a sort of a chat and a handshake with most of most of the people who are on the pitch. But yeah, it was very, very clearly directed towards the manager and higher up, I guess you could say as well. Do you think it's maybe a slight surprise that, that we're still seeing Velko Panovic in a job at Reading at the moment based on the current form? Or, or as you mentioned, do you think the problem just goes a little bit higher? Um, it's one of those tricky ones, isn't it? It's it seems obviously because we've got this whole stuff with financial fair play. It's it's tricky because it seems as though can't afford to get rid of him, can't afford a new manager. So what do you really do in this situation? Um, as I said, social media is rather unrest at the moment, and actually last night it was buzzing with people uh, uh, debating whether or not today we'd see a corner flag or a stadium photo this morning actually um so yeah i guess it is and it clearly does go higher um it's one of those ones that's a bit difficult to speculate around really when you don't when you obviously don't know beyond kind of the the day-to-day stuff that you see and the stuff that you see on the pitch for 90 minutes so yeah but obviously it's very clear that lots of people are not happy about the current club's position for sure I don't think it'll be too long before we're seeing a corner flag photo. That that's for sure. I mean, obviously, it's been a torrid run. Reading now very much in in a real relegation dogfight, especially with the the point deduction they face. But even without that, it's not looking particularly brilliant. Of course, they face Peterborough um, late, later on tonight. What's a huge game down the bottom? How do you sort of see that one unfolding? It's I know every game from now with with the dogfight they're in is a must win, but that's especially a must win, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's only two points between Reading and Peterborough and Reading are sitting just above that that uh, relegation spot. So Peterborough will obviously come all guns blazing for that one, but I think Reading need to as well because it's vital points for both sides. So um a draw and um, a win, sorry, is the is the only only possibility there for Reading really. Um yeah, it's just one of those, isn't it? That it needs to, they need to be switched on and ready to go from the moment that that referee's whistle goes for the start of ninety minutes. Do you think those those sort of bright sparks that you spoke about earlier, in terms of those really bright moments and things looking okay, and so do you think against a side like Peterborough who aren't as high up in the league, do you think it will allow those moments to shine a bit more and perhaps lead to a Reading win? Very, yeah, it's very possible because as yeah, as I said, I thought it was actually a decent game of football on Saturday, um, and it's good to see we've got some people back from injury as well. So Yakin Mighties, he made a real difference on the pitch. He was he was electric, and just having a lot more fans in the stadium, you could see how much everybody was glad to see him back. And yeah, he made some real decent runs uh, when he was forward and stuff like that. So. 
yeah, I think now that we've got some players back as well, the the, the performance looked a little better on, on Saturday. And I think actually it, maybe it could have been different if we did still have 11 on the pitch. And like I said, um, it didn't seem as though there was only 10 men. So, um, yeah, I think the, the fight is... It seemed as though the fight had gone a little bit. Players in the last few weeks or so looked like they've... They've looked like they're struggling as well with the the unrest that's happening elsewhere. So, but yeah, I think um, a positive performance on Saturday, and hopefully they take, despite the score, obviously, but I hope they take that into the game against Peterborough. Yeah. Obviously, earlier in the week we saw the signing of Brandon Barker, quite a good signing for Reading in their current position. How important are new bodies going to be? Do you think for them? Yeah, of course. Um, he's only twenty five, so obviously he's kind of on his way to. Uh, peak career I guess so um, part of it seems to have been impressed with him Um, he's a former City player I think as well so um, I saw an outrageous goal of his early actually I think he ran most of the pitch and just smashed it past the keeper so if he could do that multiple times in the coming weeks that would be fantastic Um, he seems to be a, a nippy winger down the left so yeah fingers crossed he makes an instant impact well, let's ho- certainly hope that things can turn around for both the men's and women's side um, in, in the future weeks. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Abby Ticehurst there of Football in Berkshire giving us her thoughts on Reading ahead of their clash with Peterborough tonight. Saturday saw the club will celebrate 150 years since their first game, but clearly supporters in the current era are unhappy with the direction the club is heading in. It's It's no longer obvious as to how the club turned their fortunes around, is it? Because the the circus at Reading seems to have become, even in the last 48 hours, even more complicated. I read an article just this morning that said that Paunovic apparently, according to a lot of sources within the club, was going to be going on Monday, but he's still there and he's leading the team tonight in what might be their biggest game for the last five years, if not more. I mean, where do you start with this? It's, It's incredible, isn't it? I think probably since that Huddersfield playoff final, I don't think you can say that there's a bigger game for them than this Peterborough game this evening. It is genuinely monumental for them. I I can't, it's so hard because it it seemed fairly obvious, didn't it, at the start of the season where the problems lie, I think. I think you you looked at the the overspending and and the mismanagement at a slightly sort of higher corporate level and that sort of made sense. But that's that's not how it's played out at all this season. The players, it's not a completely different squad from the squad that was just outside the playoffs last season, yet... On the, the way they're playing, you look at that seven 0 thrashing by Fulham. I think I think it's, it's one point this year that they've grabbed so far, and it's just beyond belief that they're actually that this side's just transformed. And you, yes, you can put it down to the manager, but I mean, and like you said, sources have said he should go. I, I think you know there's been a lot a lot of rumours about what players think of him and all that sort of thing as well. But uh, there's there's no clear cut answer to it, is there? There's no way of anyone actually knowing where where the problem lies. I'm not sure how much is going to be resolved by sacking Boundovich, and I'm not sure completely. I think that it's just a complete upheaval needed from from the ground up. It's it's like a it's a poison chalice that job. I think for anyone, it's it's a it's a genuine situation where I don't think anyone, even the people at Reading Football Club, know what's wrong with Reading Football Club. Well, I mean, I'll just give you some statistics here. As you mentioned, there the seven nil loss against Fulham. <laughs> immediately of the FA Cup, the next game by Kidderminster, who compete in the National League North, which is four divisions below where Reading are. They've earned, as you say, just one point in 2022. That's out of a possible 24. How important 
is this game against Peterborough tonight? Because we've talked it up, but to be clear, we've still got plenty of games to go in the season, yet Reading would go beneath Peterborough if Peterborough were to win, and that would put Reading in the relegation zone. I mean, it, it feels it feels huge, even at this stage of the season with so many games left to play. It's, it's absolutely monumental. I think that's the only way you can describe it. It's absolutely monumental. And the, the worry is, I think, is that it's less about the facts... It's, it's almost less about the fact it's a six pointer in terms of um, in terms of positions, but also about stopping the rut. Peterborough aren't a very good side. It, with the most respect to them, they've not really hit the heights they expected to in the championship. It's been a long time coming their promotion, but it's just not really worked out for them and Darren Ferguson so far. My, my problem is I'm looking at it and thinking I can't even see them really mapping anything just based on the performances so far because like like you said one point out of 24 that's just horrific form but it, it is more about stopping that rut and, and getting a result it's, it's almost irrelevant to the wrong word because obviously the fact of where they are and the fact they could leapfrog them is huge but it, for, it could be relatively big if they were playing a team that was bottom of the league by 10 points, 10 points adrift of them, if you know what I mean, because it's just about getting a result tonight, I think, and, and stopping, stopping this horrific spiral of, of losing games consistently, you know, and it's, I mean, it's worth noting as well, that one point they got was against Derby when they were 2-0 up with, with 10 minutes to go. So that, that in itself feels like a loss. So it's so, it's so hard to call, but I, I generally, I can't see where things are going to turn around for them. I hope they do, but I just, it just seems like a, a horrific spiral, like I said. When you look at the circumstances they find themselves in, do you think that even harsher comparisons are drawn? Because you look at a team like Derby, who, remember, have been deducted 21 points and are in administration, yet Derby have got themselves back into positive figures and are looking like they could even potentially sneak their way out of the relegation zone. And it appears that their strategy has been very much a them and us, and they've really united behind the scenes. And to his credit, Wayne Rooney has rejected the advances of Everton in his own words because he still has a job to do at Derby he's apparently said to the players I'm going to be the shield that deflects you from the criticism you just just focus on your football Mm. and has really stood up and been counted there and it seems to be in such contrast to the complete disarray that that Reading are in in a sense it almost invites that really really harsh comparison from the fans doesn't it it does I mean and I I think it captures there's such an underrated thing in football is leadership and there's there's absolutely no leadership at Reading from from what appears to be the very top to the very bottom that's only that's only summed up by the fact that their captain has has been stripped of his captaincy despite despite holding that for so long and and that it's that exactly sort of sums up exactly what's going wrong at the football club at the moment I mean Derby have have done things very differently haven't they well, what I don't think helps Reading bizarrely is their great start to the season they, they were doing quite well and didn't look a million miles off the playoffs I think I remember us in, in, certainly in the first few shows we did thinking you know that, that it's it's all don't worry about what's going on off the pitch let's focus about what's going on on it and that's been completely flipped on its head and, and almost made to look irrelevant and Derby were all looked doomed from the start didn't they essentially But now, and they, they very much challenged that but because of that there was absolutely no pressure on them whereas from day one there's been pressure on Reading and they haven't been able to cope with it for, for a, a very, very long time. And it's, it's so hard, like I said, to say where the issues lie. But I think leadership is what they're lacking massively. And, that, and that's what ultimately could cost them. 
I mean, the board have made it quite clear that they can't afford to sack Velko Paunovic, yet the news broke that several players allegedly want him to go. That came from, as I say, BBC Berkshire's Tim Deller. He did that report. When you look at the situation as it stands, even if he were to leave, and apparently he actually, according to unsubstantiated sources, offered his resignation a few weeks ago and was turned down. How likely is it that somebody would want to come into that job? Because the phrase you used, and I think it's one that, that others would, would probably agree with, is poison chalice at the mm. select car leasing stadium right now. It, it is a poison chalice, and I think that's probably the reason they haven't accepted Panovic's resignation. Look, I mean, you go back 12 months and we're talking about what an incredible job he's doing. Let's let's keep the facts straight here. It's not like he's he's been a terrible manager the whole time. I think you've said before, it, it, the similarities to the Yapstam era are, are incredible. But I, th- I think they've they've... They've got to be in a position where they've just got to entrust him to, to be the one that turns the ship around. Especially, I mean, it's okay saying you can't afford to sack him, but also you probably can't afford to bring in the quality of manager that could replace him because you're going to be looking further down the leagues or managers that are going to want huge survival bonuses and things like that. No one, no, very few people are going to take that job without a hefty survival bonus in their contract, of which Reading can't afford to pay them. And, and it's, it's, if you can't incentivize it, then who's, who's going to take that job? He, he's not by default a, a bad manager Panovic and he's made that perfectly clear with the way he he's done things at Reading he he has the potential to to do well there and I, I generally believe that and that was shown by the fact that they ultimately I mean I think it was the first half of last season they were knocking on the door, door of the top two very plausibly going for automatic promotion and obviously that's a far cry from where they are but I what else can they do? What else can the board do? I mean, you, it's, it's almost like I, I can understand the frustration at not accepting that resignation and the players saying that they want him gone. Something must be seriously wrong for players to be doing that, especially if they know, know the circumstances. But that the board are in a, a, between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? What, 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 where can they possibly go and what can they possibly do? I think they've just got to, they've almost just got to, exactly like what Rooney's done at Derby, is rally the troops, get a leader in, in there somehow. I mean, almost like they did with, with Andy Carroll, someone who's cheap that's just going to rejuvenate the squad and, and pick them up. It's, it's the only way I can see out of it because it's not going to be a new manager and it's certainly not going to be a change from the very top. Well, the Royals are certainly in need of some good luck and we do, of course, wish them well in that game against Peterborough tonight. Kick off in that one scheduled for 7.45pm and we will naturally keep you abreast of the score for as long as we remain on air. For the women's side, however, things have looked better of late. They've been on a fantastic run which saw them unbeaten since early November but they finally came unstuck against Brighton at the weekend going down 4-1. It was actually the third time the teams have met this season after Reading won the reverse fixture at the Select Car Leasing Stadium before knocking the Seagulls out of the FA Cup just a fortnight ago. They couldn't make it a hat-trick of victories on Sunday, however, and Abby Ticehurst, who was BBC Sussex's co-commentator for that one, gave us her thoughts on the result. So I, I actually spoke to Kelly Chambers in her presser on Thursday this week, and I think she was fairly uh, honest and frank in her her assessment of it um reading played them in the fa cup two weeks ago but that said the the squad was very different um they played a lot they had a lot of injuries at that point and so they had lots of their first team players back on sunday and i think reading and brighton have their sort of opposite seasons to each other so reading were slow out the blocks really really struggling whereas brighton were impact straight away and then they've almost mirrored each other in the last eight or so games where Brighton haven't registered a win, whereas uh, Reading have just been on top form. And um, yeah, as I said, I spoke to Kelly Chambers and she she was very conscious of the fact that she knew that this winning streak 
wouldn't necessarily continue. She had, she was being very, yeah, very honest about, about the run. Um, I don't think she necessarily thought it was going to come against Brighton though. And it was a real undoing actually, I think is, is the the best way to say the conditions were horrendous as well. It was the, it obviously been played on Brighton play at Crawley town and they'd obviously played on there before that not that it's an excuse obviously but um yeah it was a difficult game for both sides but yeah I think um Brighton just seemed a little bit quicker at everything is what it looked like um Reading was struggling for their usual cohesive performance so yeah they were they were undone by Brighton I think is the best description for it Abby Tysdurst again there talking about Reading women's 4-1 loss away at Brighton on Sunday. The result sees the Royals drop to sixth, just a point behind Manchester City with a game in hand. And they're also just three points off Manchester United in fourth. One notable thing about the company they're keeping is the goal difference that they have is considerably lower than that of the two Manchester clubs. And it's those fine margins, isn't it? When you don't have the budget to be able to compete in that regard with the big name clubs as we know them to be. Uh, then that's something that you can look at and think, well, we can maybe address that. And a 4-1 loss, you know, away at Brighton won't, won't help, will it? No, and I mean, I mean they 4-1 down to the 4-0 down to the 88th minute, aren't they, as well? It's not like it was a, a tight game and, and, and Brighton ran away with it. It was just um, it was just com- a whitewash completely by the sound of things. Uh, and I, th- I think that's that's what makes it even harder to take, especially as they, they didn't beat them that long ago. But it's obviously something Kelly Chambers will want to, want to address. But I mean, let, let's be frank, I mean, in terms of the comparison of those, top teams they are with the greatest of respect punching above their weight when it comes to challenging with your with your Manchester City's Chelsea's Arsenal's all that sort of thing um, even even Tottenham because the, the infrastructure is just completely different we're just talking about how, how bad the infrastructure is at the men's side that reflects on the women's massively it's not as simple as it's not like they're two completely different entities that just happen to have the same name if there's money trouble for the men I'll, I'll assure you there's there's money trouble for the women so I think any, anything when you when you consider that the flip side of it anything is a bonus this this year however after the string of results they put together they'll, they'll be so disheartened to get that result against Brighton and it's it's a real case of just having to dust yourself down and go again but it wouldn't surprise me if this whole this whole saga that's going on is is playing on the players minds as well because even though it's not nothing they've done and their performances haven't warranted it that that badge on the front of the shirt is still one that's being you know that's in, in the midst of a lot of controversy that's a very good point and I mean I think when you take the game in isolation as well mm. with the best will in the world and with the greatest respect to Reading women we've seen better teams than Reading women come unstuck and come unstuck in a very big way mm. having been on a great run of form I mean the one that springs to mind for me is when we were talking in, in terms of Liverpool going unbeaten for an entire season which arguably would have been a greater feat even than the one that Arsenal did back in you know sort of 2004 only to go and lose 3-0 to relegation-threatened Watford, which was a result that, that surprised everybody. It can happen. And I think if you can take the result in isolation and draw a line under it, you can kind of go, right, let's not get too carried away as to how bad that was. Mm. Let's just dust ourselves down, as you say, go again, and fingers crossed we can actually go and put in a performance. Because occasionally, sometimes, the winning mentality gets the better of you and you maybe don't perform to the level you're capable of. They've beaten Brighton twice. It does seem like a bit of an anomalous result, particularly in the context of the last few months but we'll have to wait and see Reading Women's next game will be against West Ham in the fifth round of the FA Cup that's on the 27th of February so a brief interlude for the Royals ahead of that one elsewhere one team who may well need to blow out the cobwebs when they return to action is 
Maidenhead United. The Magpies were due to play Wellston last night, but the match was postponed after heavy rain left the home side's Grosvenor pitch waterlocked. It's the second time that fixture has had to be rescheduled. Covid cases saw the first match called off, which was scheduled to be on Boxing Day. But yesterday's decision means Alan Deb. Yesterday's decision. Oh, I do apologise. Means Alan Devonshire's team won't have played for two weeks when they face Boreham Wood at York Road on Saturday. Is that likely to be a, a welcome break for the team? Or is it a concern when you've not played for a couple of weeks, having to suddenly pick up and go again? Because you, you maybe don't have that match sharpness if you're used to playing, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. It's, it's, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, the, the fact they've been on a, on a good run probably helps that. I think spirits are naturally going to be high and they're probably you know, chomping at the bit, ready to go for the next game. Obviously, there's only so long that can go on for. So you would want to play sooner rather than later. And they, they happen to be playing a very, very strong side again at the weekend, which which won't help them. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a huge game for them as well in that if Worldstone beat them, I know we've spoke about them probably being okay, but it's, it's plausible they can be dragged back into into that that hor- that you know that that relegation battle that we've spoke about with with those three teams, especially when you consider. I mean, Wellstone manager has just been given manager of the month. He's he's done a great job despite them being in the bottom three. I think, which which just sums up exactly where where we're at. They're they're a, they're a team that are very close by to them, and and they're a team that they wouldn't want to lose to. Certainly, a team that they don't want to have to play it, it, in a horrible congested sort of fixture period which it sounds like they're going to have to at this rate um but uh but it's 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 a tough one isn't it i mean that they'll want to get back to playing as soon as they can but i think that spirits will remain massively high after the results had especially the rectum one i think being that last one well the maidenhead will remain 20th in the national league for the time being there's six points clear of the bottom three with three games in hand over weymouth in 21st right time for a short break but stay tuned as we'll be chatting wickham wanderers next across the thames valley one more time across Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio, our resident football show, bringing you stories from across the Thames Valley and beyond. And up next is Wickham, who are without a win in four league matches following a one-all draw away at Lincoln on Saturday. The Chairboys led the stats in shots taken on target, possession and passing accuracy, but couldn't find a way past their hosts for 85 minutes when finally defender Chris Farino headed an equaliser. The result means Wickham have taken just two points from a possible 12, a run which has seen fellow playoff hope Oxford and Sheffield Wednesday closed the gap. I caught up with Bucks Free Press reporter for Wickham, James Richings. I do apologise. James Richings, who gave me his thoughts on the game. The first half, I thought, wasn't the best um, for Wickham this season. I thought they were quite sluggish. They were quite poor. Lincoln came out the traps and played very, very well. And the goal was really well worked. Literally three passes. That's all it took for them to score. And Wickham really needed to to get out of this little rut that they're on. Second half performance, much better. They were a lot more together and the goal was thoroughly deserved through Chris Farino. So after a terrible first half, they really did make up for it for a very good second half performance. I think a draw was a fair result, even though I think Wickham did improve in the second half. Well, Wickham actually had 28 shots on goal during the game. They were also unlucky not to get a penalty in the opinion of Gareth Ainsworth. But for all their dominance in that regard, and perhaps a touch of misfortune, it ultimately is still points dropped, isn't it? Yes, so that's no wins in four now. And it's it's very ironic that after beating Oxford a month ago yesterday, they were top of the table since then, no wins in four. 
But Wickham fans are not really worried at the moment. They've got a big game this weekend against Cheltenham, who are just below mid-table. So you like to think on paper that could be a good game for them to get back into the swing of things. But we said that last week against Shrewsbury, and it was a nil-nil draw. And even before that, away at Morecambe, Wickham have got a relatively good record there and they managed to lose 3-2. So I think there will be a game in the next few weeks where Wickham will dominate like they have done in recent weeks. But this time they will get their uh, shooting boots on. I reckon it won't be too long until we get a resounding Wickham win. Well, one thing that run of form has meant, of course, is that the teams that are chasing them, including Oxford and Sheffield Wednesday, have been able to close the gap to Wickham since they have dropped points. Is that a bit of a concern? Because obviously that cushion that they had has been diminished quite significantly, hasn't it? Oh, very much so. It's so tight within the top seven, eight of League One. I know Rotherham are playing very well. They look like they're going to run away of the league. But you've got some other big teams in there, such as Wigan, MK, Oxford. They're all in and about it. But Gareth Ainsworth has always said Wickham can't control the results of the teams around them. They can only focus on themselves. But as we saw over the weekend, Oxford lost late on against Bolton, which was a surprise in some senses because Bolton are again mid-table, even though they've um, gone up a few places. So it is very, very tough. But Wickham, in my opinion, just focus on each game. I think they should be fine. Well, after Cheltenham, Wickham will welcome Wigan to Adams Park. That's on Tuesday night and that's a really big game, isn't it? Because Wigan are second in the league and if Wickham can get the three points there, that's the sort of win that can catapult you into a good run of form, surely. Oh, 100%. I really do think that will be probably one of their biggest games of the season, along with Rotherham, who come to town in a few months. Wigan, people need to remember, are a former Premier League side. Less than 10 years ago, they won the FA Cup and they were playing in Europe. So they are a top, top side. They've got some very good players in their team and there's going to be an incredibly close encounter on Tuesday. But in order for Wigan to get anything from that game, they need to start off strong. Against Lincoln, they started slow. Passes were going out of play, they were astray. So Wickham needs to cut that out when Wigan come to town because Wigan, as we've seen, are a top, top side and they're one of the favourites to go up. But Gareth Ainsworth isn't as concerned as what some fans might be at the moment because in the last two games against Shrewsbury and Lincoln, Wickham have just had short of 60 shots on goal. So they are doing the right things, they just can't get the ball in the net. And I reckon there will be a game in, in the weeks coming that will see Wickham absolutely bulged in there with the chance that they have. So I think if Wickham starts really strongly against Wigan, it'll make it for a great game and hopefully Wickham will be able to get three points. Well, there'll be no better game to get amongst the goals, hopefully, than the Cheltenham game on Saturday, which would, of course, set them up for a great tie against Wigan on Tuesday night. James, thanks for your thoughts. No worries. Thanks so much for your time, Ed. James Richings from the Bucks Free Press there. It's not the stage of the season where you want to be dropping points. Let's face it, there's no stage of the season where you want to be doing that. But with 15 games left to play, there is plenty of time to pick up the form ahead of the playoffs, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think it's too much to worry about, to be, to be completely honest with you. And I think Wickham are the sort of team that when it comes to playing the sides above them, just will pull results out of the bag, aren't they? It often seems to be the way with them. I, I, I don't. I honestly don't believe that, that, like I said, that there is too much stress around it, especially Especially when and it would have been this sort of idea with the interest of return is brilliant. I think to even be especially mentioned with that it, within that sort of category is exactly where Wickham wants to be anyway. So you know that I, I'm, I'm under no sort of illusion. I think they will definitely be in the playoffs. I think it'd be they, they'd struggle not to make the playoffs this year. I think this is obviously a bit of a lottery when it comes to that. If you just said that to a Wickham fan at the start of the season, they'd have definitely taken it. It's just because of that that little run where 
Ben was saying how amazing it was to to get into those automatic promotion promotion places that that makes it harder to take when you go on a bit of a slump. But if if anyone knows how to put it right at Wick and Wonders, I think it's Gareth Ains. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think for me, the real key thing that Ben said, and let's face it, he is very much Mr. Wickham when it mm. comes to, to this show, was how much better the team was this year than the one that actually got promoted. Yeah. And, and League One and the Championship and League Two are such difficult leagues to get out of any given year. Any team can be anyone, and that seems to be the nature of it. And I've, I've worked a lot in the Premier League, and we say, you know, kind of the reason that the Premier League is the best league in the world, quote unquote, is because anyone can be anyone. But when it actually happens, we all go crazy. You know, when Norwich beat Manchester City, when Watford beat Liverpool, as as we said, it's such an extraordinary result that it gets loads and loads of coverage. But I put it to you that if anyone legitimately could be anyone, then it wouldn't actually be that big of a deal. And, and as I think I've said on the show before, you look at League one results or lead two results those kind of things are happening week in week out but as I say the fact that Ben truly believes that this Wickham side are a lot better Mm. I mean it leads me to the question that if they didn't make an instant return to the championship how important is it that they do build on the progress they've made in the last couple of seasons both infrastructurally but also on the playing side well I mean first of all you're right you're exactly right in what you're saying about League One especially I mean you only have to look at Gillingham beating Sunderland a few weeks ago I mean it's it's mental how it can happen Gillingham with almost without a win all season going away to the biggest team in the division arguably and 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 uh, dispatching them so it, it does happen and it happens so regularly that I mean it's it's it feels like a cliche to say, but it's there. There really are no easy games in League One, and and that's why that when you get those runs together like they did, it is it is important to celebrate them and, and get ahead of yourself almost, like, you know, in the in the way that Ben did and, and any football fan would. I think in terms of of the progress, I think it's important to remember where Wickham were five years ago. And if, if you'd have said to any Wickham fan, as I said earlier, if you'd have said to any Wickham fan five years ago, you'd regularly be in the playoffs in League One, they'd, they'd have just shook their head at you and thought you were a mad person. So I think just just making sure that, that you consolidate and, and you're consistently a team that are going to be in and around the League One playoffs and, and pushing for promotion, even the top half of League One is realistically a very, very good place for Wickham to be. Let's not forget, it's easy to forget the shock when they went up to the Championship. It, I think no they, shocked, could, they shocked themselves yeah, as much as anyone else, didn't exactly. they? Nobody could quite believe it. And I'm not sure sure you know if they could have chosen a time to go up that would necessarily have been (laughs) when they would have chosen but I mean obviously they acquitted themselves incredibly well didn't they they were in action in the Bucks and Bucks Cup last night the team faced non-league Crendon they ran out 4-0 winners at Tame United's ASM Stadium the game attracted almost 2,000 fans which is remarkable because that's 1,200 more than Crendon have ever played in front of and the last attendance for their last game was 39 which is wow, which is incredible. absolutely crazy. And what's more, Wickham have also said that they will donate their share of the gate receipts to their opponents in what is a really lovely gesture. That's so fingers draw. crossed they'll be rewarded with some good karma when they take on Cheltenham at Adams Park on Saturday. That concludes our local roundups. It's time to cast our net slightly wider as we discuss the week's hottest of footballing topics. Windsor, Windsor Ascot, 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 Maidenhead, Maidenhead Bracknell, Bracknell, Wokingham, Wokingham Henley, Henley Reading. Reading. Okay, ta-da! The voice, River Radio, of the Thames Valley. The football show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Yes, we are indeed Extra Time live on River Radio. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at River Radio Live or send an email to studio 
at river.radio. And without further ado, it's time to hand over to Will, who'll be giving us a whistle-stop tour through the beautiful game's biggest talking points from the last seven days. Will, what have you got? Well, you couldn't, you couldn't leave it, mate, could you? I mean, it, was, it was a bit much for you, the whole show, wasn't it? So no. you, you, you had to give it to me at this... No? Above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that. I'm picking up the scraps, essentially. That's what's happening. Um, obviously, a, period, a big period's unfolded in the Premier League recently, as it two match days this week, uh, obviously in midweek and the weekend. Um, the results obviously have just played a huge part in how the rest of the season will play out as well. There were so many games at hand that have been caught up on and huge fixtures as well um, that, that seemed on paper like sort of routine wins, but it certainly hasn't happened like that. Not least for Tottenham Hotspur, I would argue. A dramatic 3-2 loss to Southampton, obviously at the hands of being 2-1 up with almost with 10 minutes to go. And then a, a pretty crushing defeat to Bruno Lage's high-flying Wolves has left the top four looking even more unlikely. It begs a question, doesn't it, Ed? What, what can Antonio Conte do to get the best out of these players? Because it, it doesn't seem like there's anyone that, that can get anything out of this current crop of Tottenham players. It's a curious one, isn't it? And I think what Tottenham did and what they kind of knowingly did was they brought in a manager of, shall we say, combustible temperament, um, who is very, very clear and direct about what he wants. And I think he has been from more or less day one. I would be very surprised if a number of that squad are lining up for Spurs next season and I think he's starting to see who he can and can't rely on. Deli Alley obviously shown the door in the transfer window. I think other people will follow because as I think he said in reflection on the on the Wolves game, you can't buy a winning mentality and there are some players there that, that don't appear realistically to have it and he is an incredibly demanding manager and he will not let you be in the dark as to what he what he makes of you. But that's the thing and what, what they've gone and got is a really strong lead who I think genuinely does have the capability to turn this around. But I think Spurs fans are starting to see that this is not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be a new manager bounce that gets you back into the top four. This is going to be a long process and a long project. And really, Daniel Levy has left himself in a position, I would imagine, where it's not going to be quite blank checkbook because it never (laughs) is with Daniel Levy. However, I don't think he's got a lot of leverage over Antonio Conte because, and I've said this before, the funny thing about it is that it's not a wholly different squad from the one that Nuno had. But when Nuno Espirito Santo turns around to you and says, I'm not sure this squad's good enough, you are well within your rights to retort at the time. Well, it's the best squad that you'll probably have worked with and certainly a better squad than you had at at Wolves, Mm. where, to be fair, you punched above your weight, even though Wolves have got some really, really good players, as we're seeing under the management of Bruno Large. When Antonio Conte turns around and tells you the same thing, because of what he's done, because of what he's won, you sit up and take notice. And I think he's he's made it very clear he's not happy with the squad he has and he's expecting, nay, demanding additions. Yeah. So it's going to be a big one to turn around, Tottenham. Uh, but if, if I were Daniel Levy, I'd think I had the man for the job. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably a fair assessment, isn't it? That, that they, they do have... Surely they have to hand for the job. They're not going to get much better. What I find crazy is, is the parallels that we're almost talking about with the two to the local clubs that, that we've mentioned, almost in terms of Reading, that the problem obviously goes higher than, than the players and the manager in this sense. I don't think it's as simple as, as it's, it's just that the players aren't quite good enough and, and the manager's not getting the most out of them. The problem is that, that, that they had an incredible squad that they've allowed to almost rot and age without getting the appropriate replacements in. I think, that, I think that's probably a fair assessment as well. And then also, also with Wickham, that they probably re, in reality were punching above their weight a little bit when they were in those top in the, in the upper echelons of the table in the Premier League when they were you know if you, if you said Tottenham Hotspur were in the title race 
it would have it's, it's, it was crazy you know 10 years ago but now it was it was at a time when it, it it actually was very viable it's it's a tough one with Spurs isn't it because there, there's this Spursy reputation that they don't seem to help themselves with do they I mean no, I mean for a lot of people that the real um, kind of line in the sand a little bit was in a sense that Champions League final and the reaction to it but I would argue even in the build up we had this curious scenario where Mauricio Pochettino having got them there was sort of implying that he might well leave at the end of that season mm. which for me I can't see how that wouldn't rock the boat after being there for four or five years and getting that far the implication was we win the Champions League I might sort of say right that's me lads and I'm off mm. obviously that didn't happen they they ran out fairly fairly routine losers to Liverpool in the 2-0 defeat it was a, a drab game a dire game to be perfectly honest yeah. with you but it's the Champions League final so you have to watch it that said then was the time where I think Prochettino basically went right we need to rebuild this squad and that then didn't happen and I think that was a poor decision and since then they have been if you like suffering as a result of it because we're talking back in 2019 that was you know going on three years ago Mm. Uh, and Spurs frankly haven't really been at the races more or less since then have they? No, they they haven't, and it's it's absolutely right, and it's the treatment of of that that's you know if you, you're talking about rubbing shoulders with the elite like they want to in, in terms of Champions League finals, if that's your mantra and that's the way you're doing things, you're just not going to attract the top level players anyway, are you? You're, you're not going to be able to to find these top players that want to come to the club because when when it when push really came to shove, when when Tottenham had got to a point where they probably didn't think they'd get for for quite a long time, through virtue of, of a very shrewd managerial appointment and some very clever signings alongside sort of a good work with the youth system they, they suddenly found themselves in a sort of throw money at it or, or will to weigh situation and although obviously that's that's you could say that in hindsight it was ultimately the wrong decision that Daniel Levy made and how if you'd have said on in that Champions League final then then in three years time they'd have been rebuilding with with three different managers since can you imagine the, the shock would just have been ridiculous wouldn't it do you know what I mean it would have been however if I were a Spurs fan in those circumstances as I've said the one man I would want to rebuild my team would probably be Antonio Conte yes, absolutely uh, to right. be to be totally honest with you but I think he, he has got a big job on his hands and I think the scale of the job is becoming apparent to him because it's all well and good going in and winning you know as many games as he did Listen, he's had an impact to make that happen. But when you're losing at home to Southampton, having been ahead, when you're losing at, at, at home to Wolves, who, to be fair, are playing very well at the moment, but at home and not really laying a glove Wait, on them. Wait, so as well in the Conference League, as well as I remember. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real challenge. And I think it w- will remain to be seen, you know, but I think Spurs have done arguably well to keep a player like Son there for example mm. because I think you know he's worth 100, 100 plus million of anyone's money because yeah. he's a fantastic player I mean they've got Harry Kane there but I think you have to start to question how wise that necessarily is because he's a fantastic player but he hasn't been himself for quite some time and, and you could argue that that is maybe born of this making it pretty clear that he wants to move on and it's just it's not materialised yeah yeah I mean he, he has come out hasn't he and said he's quite happy under Conte and the way things are going compared to that under Nuno Espirito Santo obviously how true that is and and, the, and how that's been stipulated you don't know but I, I don't know it's a, it's a tough one with Kane isn't it because he's he's the he's especially after the Euros he's the nation he's the football sweetheart isn't he everyone wants him to do incredibly well it rings sort of similar to David Beckham that everyone just wants him to do so well but it just hasn't worked this season for him at Spurs he really wanted that move I think that was abundantly clear and it, although things have changed under Conte how much are they going to change Is he, he's not going to go he's not going to be winning a Premier League title anytime soon I think you could be fairly confident of that it, 
but do you think losing that sort of talisman figure, do you think that's that's played regardless of who's in charge, is going to have a big effect on the team? I don't think it's necessarily regardless of who's in charge. And herein lies the thing. Mm. I think there would be certain managers with whom he would not gel. Um, and I think that he would kind of be like, actually, I think I've done what I can here. I'm getting to the you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm about 29. I want to move on. I want to win something. Mm. Which you know, for a player of his quality to end your career without actually having won anything would be a travesty. Really, I think, mm. given his ability, um, I don't think Antonio, Antonio Conte is is one of those managers. Though I think Antonio Conte, because of his track record of, of winning and winning things recently as well it's not yeah. just a case of because he said something very similar under Jose Mourinho when Jose Mourinho came in it was this he's a winner thing uh, and Jose Mourinho was sacked a week before he he got them you know into or rather a week before they went into the final of the League Cup that he got them into which mm. was a curious decision because if there's one team that Jose Mourinho actually has a pretty good <laughs> record against it was Manchester City with Tottenham Hotspur mm. um, and there was a lot of theories as to why that Super that, League game, that was kind of you know that was floated when it did and he obviously was relieved of his duties I think under Conte because of his winning record and his winning record recently you could be seeing Harry Kane firing again come the start of next season because Conte will have had the summer to get people in to build the team and the style and really work with them on the training ground as to how he wants them to play I mean you remember that game potentially against uh, Arsenal when Chelsea were 3-0 down at half time and Chelsea were effectively playing the way the players wanted to play and at half time we went right we're not doing that anymore I want you to do this Mm. and they had been working on it at the training ground 3-4-3 they didn't concede any more goals. They still lost the game, but they went and won the Premier League that year playing yeah. that way. I think you will see Tottenham playing the way that Conte wants them to play and Harry Kane will be a big, big part of that. And I would imagine you will see Harry Kane back on form would be my prediction. But as as with all commentators, you know, we, we will have to wait and see because I could be incredibly wrong about that. I'm going to clip that one up, mate. I'm afraid. <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how far that gets us. I mean, obviously, it doesn't look like they're going to get um, sort of anywhere near near the Champions League this season, does it? I mean, they, they seem to be a far, a far cry from it. Speaking of the Champions League, though, obviously, they get it returned this week in terms of the uh, the. the Round of 16 first fixtures. Last night we saw Manchester City cruise past Sporting Lisbon. Five, I think that was in the end. And two absolutely star-studded teams collide when Real took on PSG. Tonight sees, obviously, Liverpool take on Inter Milan away, one of Conte's former teams. I mean, just, just talking about City last night, it was, it was incredible. I know it was Sporting Lisbon, and with no disrespect to them, they should have beat them. This is the... This is... Pep Guardiola's crown jewel, isn't it? This is what he he wants and craves more than anything. Could this finally be it for him? Do you well, think? I don't think it's just him. I think it's certainly City's yeah. owners as well. And it is a bit of an anomaly. It's it's kind of the elephant in the room for City, really, isn't it? Because they've been so dominant in English football over all this time. Um, and that is the one glaring omission in their trophy cabinet. We ask this question, it seems to me, kind of every year, don't yeah. we? And it's, yeah. it's an interesting one because you have to say that you look at the way that City play football. I mean, look, we had Tom Pickering on last week, founder of, of Very Biased Opinions, notorious Manchester United fan, and he said City could well be the best football team you know ever um, yeah. from a Manchester United fan that's that's quite something Some you know, that's I, I kind of feel like they're they're almost a bit like the All Blacks aren't they do you know yeah. what I mean you know they're the best rugby team and yet that doesn't always mean they win the trophy at the end of the tournament that said you know the All Blacks have won the World Cup a few times City have never won the Champions League and as I say that's why it's such a glaring omission it's hard to look past them and, and obviously the fact that you know Barcelona are out for example and, and, and even if they weren't Barcelona are kind of on their knees in the shadow of the team they once mm. were I don't rate PSG higher than Manchester City I don't rate Real Madrid higher than I rate Manchester City 
whether or not they can win it will ultimately, for me, depend on Manchester City. It won't necessarily depend on who they face. I think Manchester City, at times, have kind of been their own worst enemies. Yeah. Um, so, honestly, I think it will very much be up to them. But, I mean, last night they were phenomenal. I yeah. mean, phenomenal. I mean, and it's, 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 you know, we're talking about a team that has made it through to the, you know, the last 16 of the Champions League. 5-0 mm. away from home. I mean... It's unheard of, isn't it's, it? Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, teams have done it, don't get me wrong, but that's the benchmark as to how good that side is. You never know. I mean, I honestly hope it is their year, I really do. Um, but it, again, it, as I say, I think for me, it'll be down to Man City more than it's down to anybody they face. Mm. I, th- I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of, there was a lot of people saying, wasn't there, about Pep Guardiola last year that he almost lost himself the final, he out tacticked himself, a lot of people seem to be saying with that, with the lineup and how he came up against Chelsea. I'm not sure you can ever say that about Pep Guardiola. I think, I think it was actually more to do with, with how impressive Tuchel's management was than anything. But who knows? how far they could go um, obviously just before we move on obviously we saw Kylian Mbappe start as PSG beat Real Madrid I mean in terms of star-studded teams you could only you could just see any team PSG are playing is a star-studded lineup of players because they have enough players to, to populate a world 11 don't they they really do to come up a, up a team up against a team I should say sorry like Real Madrid with your you know Taboo Courtois your Karim Benzema's Tony Kroos Casemiro players like that how how incredible is it, even away from, from the result, just to see two teams like that come together at, at the very highest sort of level of football? I mean, it's akin to, you know, FIFA, where you can sort of play two <laughs> yeah. world 11s yeah. against each other. I mean, unless you kind of, the only way you sort of top that really is if you get, you know, Zidane and Figo <laughs> back on the pitch and, and start playing games like that. Is yeah. it? I mean, it is, it is remarkable. I mean, one thing I would say is that, you know, you look back to the Real Madrid sort of Galactico era of the early 2000s and, and they didn't win as much as you figured they should based on the players they had at their disposal I mean and I've seen someone steaming I think it was Paul Merson steaming to Maurizio Pochettino yeah. this week uh, talking about you know why Manchester United apparently there seems to be this rhetoric they must get Maurizio Pochettino because he sort of contrived to lose the league in France which with PSG feels borderline impossible but mm. but he did manage to do it that's a different story and as I say that's Paul Merson's, Paul Merson's opinion allegedly not mine but at the same time I mean you look at those two sides and it it is a spectacle isn't it and I think, you know, occasionally you see the odd meme that sort of, you know, talks about when Messi and Ronaldo, you know, we'll all reflect on on who was better when actually we should have just been appreciating the fact we had two of them at the same time. The thing about Kylian Mbappe is when we get players like this, it always prompts the the question as to whether or not, I mean, really, it's whether or not anyone's better than Messi, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, funnily so. enough, in, in what, it's not unpopular opinion yet, but just to segue, <laughs> uh, funnily enough, if I had to pick a team and I had a big game, I would pick Ronaldo over Messi, even though I think Messi's a better player. Yeah, that's one for that. that. that's one for another time. I think but it is definitely. I think you'd go. <laughs> I think you'd go. You'd be going a long way to find someone in the in the present era who is a, a more talented natural footballer than, than Lionel Messi. But obviously, to see Messi in the same team as Mbappe, in the same team as Neymar, and, mm. and Sergio Ramos is in the same team as <laughs> Lionel yeah. Messi. You know, it's. I mean, it's crazy. And and it, like you say, you know, as a as a neutral, I mean, I support Crystal Palace. None of these players are ever coming to my team you have to sit back and, and just enjoy the game I think. You, you, you do I think I think, and obviously just before we do move on to the unpopular opinion section Liverpool away into Milan tonight uh, a ground that they're, they're very familiar with having played there against AC Milan in the group Inter Milan seems to be written off it's, it's no walk in the park that is it absolutely not and I think the, the big question was whether or not Inter Milan could kind of survive the departure of Antonio Conte because Antonio Conte kind of swanned in yeah. one, one Serie A <laughs> and then left 
in a in a kind of blaze of glory and it was kind of like right are they going to be able to pick up the pieces because before he came in really Inter Milan had had been way off it for some time yeah. and quick as a flash he came in and, and did his thing um, but they have picked up the pieces they're very much in the title race this year in Syria you're right it will not be a walk in the park I'd still expect Liverpool to, to do this one because I think unless Inter Milan are managed by an Antonio Conte style figure you know Jurgen Klopp will probably have will have their number um, that said certainly be an interesting game to watch no doubt about that I think it will be well some some fairly balanced opinions there Ed I think it's fair to say <laughs> um, shall we change that up yeah, yeah why not it's unpopular opinion next we interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin River Radio has arrived. Beautiful. Tell your friends. But don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio and it's time for Will's favourite feature of the evening. It is, of course, unpopular opinion. This will see one of us submit a footballing thought that goes against the grain for many people before attempting to justify it whilst under fire from the rest of the panel. This week, of course, that'll be a head-to-head and it's my turn to offer up a subject and I've turned, in fact, to the point scoring system for inspiration. So, without further ado, my unpopular opinion is... Before you tell you, it wasn't too much, was it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Absolutely was. I wasn't aware of that, can I just say, by the way? I honestly think the time is right yeah. for the scoring system when it comes to points per game to mm. be reviewed. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is, and I was speaking to someone recently and they made a really astute point, and I think it, it, there there is a potential there for teams who are lower down the league, let's say in the Premier League, to really benefit from this, mm-hmm. which is that if you play three games and you draw all three you get three points, Mm -hmm. but you are unbeaten for three games. But if you play three games, you lose two and win the final one, you also get three points. Now, how can being unbeaten for three games be only as good as losing the majority of said three games? Now, I think that if you were to put it so that you got four points for a win and two points for a draw, you draw those three games and therefore unbeaten, then obviously you get six points. If you lose two and you win one, you get four points. Now, I think if you actually take a look at, say, the Premier League, for example, if I bring the Premier League up, there are certain clubs in there, Burnley being one of them. Now, a lot of people don't want Burnley in the league. They don't want the kind of the more aggressive, you know, slightly more direct style. My attitude towards that has always been, if that can get you a result against a team, and in Burnley's case, it often has, let's not forget, they qualified for the Europa League one year, having finished seventh, which was truly remarkable, then quite Quite frankly, it belongs in the league. Now, Burnley have won one game this season, okay, which I think we can, you know, agree beyond all possible doubt or dispute is pretty bad. But they've drawn 11 times. Now, if you look at the bottom, what, four, five after that, they've drawn more games than anyone else. And a draw to me is that a team, a Premier League team in this case, could not beat you. Burnley have been unable to be beaten on 11 different occasions. They didn't beat the opposing team, but the opposing team couldn't beat them. And when you're a team like Burnley, who fundamentally are working with a much smaller budget than just about any other team, more or less in the division, bar one or two have been recently promoted, 
not being able to be beaten by a Premier League team. I don't think you could say that, say, even when you look at, you know, the clubs in the Championship. You take your Fulham, you take your Bournemouth at the moment, you know, two teams at the top of the Championship. I don't think they necessarily come up the way they are and get 11 draws. I don't, I don't think they do. Um, so for me, I think that uh, an overview of the, of the scoring system, which would still reward wins in a two-point gap to draws, but would mean that draws offer a little bit more, would make it a bit more competitive for smaller sides. Um, okay, well, I mean, obviously, I disagree. Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get straight off the bat there. I'm, I'm not going to pretend for a moment I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Because and it's not just because it's the point of the feature. It's, it's, it's absolutely not because it's the point of the feature. You do, I, mean, you, I mean, you look angry. I am angry. Yeah. You are. I'm, yeah. I'm livid. Almost. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I think I'm, uh, I, f- I fundamentally have a few problems. Like, I'm not. I'm not completely against the idea of sort of a, a, an upheaval of the system in some capacity because it's it's been the same for a very long time. And and I know there's the argument if it's not don't fix it but I think there are certain things that change and there's so much more on the line now than there was 40 years ago for example yeah so I, I, I appreciate that my only my issue is is that draws I mean you say they haven't been beaten mm-hmm. they haven't it, it's a complete mindset thing what you're saying because they also haven't beaten three teams they're winless in three just as they're just as they're just as they just as they've not been beaten in three, mm. they're winless in three. So you could say Burnley, for example, draw ten games on the trot. Yeah. They haven't won in ten games. That Fair is, enough. yeah, they've not been true. beaten, but they haven't been. There. So you're then oh. rewarding essentially failure to win. So you're saying so, and then uh, so you're, you're saying if you fail to win, you could, don't worry, you still have two points. And if in three games, so you're, if you draw three games, you get more than if you won one in three games. Mm-hmm. But I think I think lost the other two. If I offered your team a run of drawing three games or losing two and winning one, which would you take? Because I'd take the drawing three because I think losing two games out of three is a worse run than drawing three games. I mean, it's it's a, it's a I mean, I, I understand the premise, and, and, and in in sort of practice, I understand what you're saying. But I mean, I, I personally, I'm 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 very much and always have been of the opinion a win is a win in football. And, I, and if that's sacrificed by losing a game either side of it, then so be it. Because I, I just love winning games of football. I think that's that's the absolute epitome of it. I, I, but my, my my sort of biggest problem, my, my peak problem with, with the argument that you're making mm-hmm. is purely that you would see a complete downfall in the quality of football. Because if you, you if there's a team that uh, you know, you, if there's you more know, to be gained for a draw, they won't come out and exactly. necessarily win. But, Norwich, but something for that has always got under my skin is when you know, and I'm going to quote one. I certainly remember a game because I worked on the game. It was when Jose Mourinho uh, uh, was in, in charge of Manchester United. They played West Bromwich Albion at home, and mm. Ben Foster made a string of of just extraordinary saves. Mm-hmm. And David Dyer literally had more or less nothing to do. Um, and Mourinho afterwards said, "You know, when one team you know tries to attack, and the other team just isn't interested, etc., etc., this, that, and the other." And I sit there and think, "You're at Old Trafford. The squad you've assembled. I mean, you've got Romelu Lukaku there has cost you seventy five million pounds. I argue <laughs> that yeah, for your Pogba and your and your Lukaku combined, that one hundred seventy five million pound fee." You you could arguably potentially buy West Brom as a club. Uh, if you can't, when you're at home, with home advantage behind you, deconstruct the tactic of simply being defensive in the hope of getting a point out of the game, then frankly, that says more about you than it does about them. Okay. I say as the, as the 
how can I put it as a as a supporter of a smaller club mm. equally you know you're talking to a man who said listen Roy Hodgson's probably the best person to walk into the uh, the Watford job the football won't be good to watch but do you want to stay yeah. up or not yeah no, no look, I, I, I appreciate what you're what you're saying to an extent I think this argument goes slightly deeper than an upheaval of the point system in that if the league was more equally financially balanced that this wouldn't be a conversation we'd be having mm. and I think I think that's where a lot of the problem lies it's not anyone's fault that they're particularly rich it's not anyone's fault that they're particularly not wealthy but I think that you can't penalise teams for having more money and constructing incredible squads and other teams for not doing that. But I think equally, the burden of having an incredible squad is that you may well have to systematically deconstruct how a team plays. And I'll put it to you, you don't see Manchester City having too many problems dissecting a team, let's say like Burnley, because Burnley have been routinely beaten by Manchester City at the Etihad 5-0 pretty much every time they go for as long as I can remember. So it can be done. I just, I, I, yes, I, I buy, it's a niche case though, isn't it? I buy, I buy the idea that, yeah, the football's not great to watch for everyone, but at the end of the day, it, it depends on what football's become now, doesn't it? And like you say, the scope of this conversation is broadening by the yes, second, really, it isn't is, it? Yeah. Because ultimately, when you're saying like, you know, the cost of relegation, I, I can't sit here and claim to have an intimate, detailed mm. knowledge of what the cost of relegation was, say, in the 1950s. But I put to you today that, you know, when a club gets relegated, you know, people lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Things like yeah, that happen. Okay, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we're talking about... Didn't he? Uh, and they, and they, well, I mean, Arsenal didn't get relegated. Yeah. But <laughs> he did lose his job, though. But, but, but nonetheless. Um, um, so no, it's, uh, the, the final point, all, all I would make is look, I mean, because I, I know we're happily running out of time. Football is about winning, and the reward for that should be justified. And that's that's my big point against it. But we, we really could do this all night. We, we could indeed. <laughs> and my big point against your big point is that. <laughs> Winning is still compensated by getting four points, so you still get two points yeah. more okay. than for a draw. Yeah, I understand uh, however, you know, we will have to wait and see if the footballing gods or FIFA are listening to this show. Just take my points <laughs> on board. I'll happily come in for a sit-down meeting and we'll have a chat. Look, that's the end of tonight's show. It's been great sparring with you, Will, as always, Mr. Everpresent. We look forward to uh, listening or rather hearing from you next week and, of course, look forward to all of you tuning in. Enjoy.